This podcast is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the Dharma for your life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. Thank you and happy listening. Okay, so my talk, um, so I came up with a title for my talk and... Um, it's called May All Your Weeds Be Wild Flowers. <laughs> so that's the title for the talk. And uh, and I was trying to sort of link it to uh, Amrita's talk yesterday on animism. Um, and in a way I was thinking, well, so there's this idea about being without a good connection or experiencing the universe as alive. Um, there's no possibility for enlightenment. So I was sort of thinking, well, what is it that gets in the way of that? Well, for myself, I could think of many things, like um, being too busy and just not being in very good connection. So I thought I'd like to talk about um, ways into that connection, uh, sort of practices that we do or we can do as Buddhists that will help bring that connection uh, more fully. And... um, I also like the idea, I'm going to talk a bit about um, the use of nature in the teachings, uh, different symbols and metaphors that uh, come about through the Buddha's uh, enlightenment and story. Um, So just a little bit about that. And also I want to talk about um, building a Buddha field, which seems quite relevant to me. And uh, yeah, I'll go into that in a minute. Or an eastern bit of field, at least. <laughs> so, firstly, I'd like to talk about um, so the Buddha, the Buddha's noble quest. So, for those that maybe don't know much about, actually, I think most people do. Maybe a couple. So, the Buddha, um, two thousand five hundred years ago, there was a man called Siddhartha Gotama who. Uh, lived a life of luxury really he sort of uh, lived in a world where all his needs were met he had everything he wanted um, he lived in a palace and um, but at the same time he sort of had a bit of a spiritual crisis as well he kind of uh, it wasn't quite enough there was an element to his experience um, that wasn't quite enough um, and he was sort of sheltered from uh, anything difficult, so he's sheltered from old age, sickness, death, um, and uh, but then one day he discovered uh, he was he was sort of faced with those things. Uh, he may have seen people around him uh, getting old. He may there's other stories that he left the palace and uh, discovered these things. So it made him question, uh, sort of relying on external things for his happiness and. Uh, security and he uh, he kind of had this uh, spiritual crisis and decided that he was going to try and find a way out so so there's a, a word in, in Buddhism called dukkha which is uh, which really means unsatisfactoriness 
So there's, he's sort of taught that there's an element to all of our experience, whether it's all really good and we're having a really great time, the sun's shining, um, everything's going our way, there's often still an element. Someone in our group yesterday was talking about it's really, really nice here, but they keep thinking about it's going to end. Uh, and what if the sun goes in? And this, that's kind of, in a way, dukkha. Um, yeah. So the Buddha... Uh, the Buddha wanted to find a way out of this. And uh, so he, he left his life of luxury and set out on a noble quest. And uh, so he tried lots of different ways of finding freedom and eventually uh, found a way that was... Um, well, he'd kind of remembered a time in his youth, and this is one story around... Um, when nature comes into it, he was sitting under a tree, a rose apple tree, when he was a boy. And there was something about being under that tree in those particular conditions that he um, that led him to a state of absorption. Um, so I guess we've all had that experience of sitting under a tree and there's some kind of calming, calming energy that happens. And he entered a state of absorption. And it was out of this that he then... Uh, remembered that that would possibly be a way by just getting into a calm state of mind he could then uh, maybe go a bit deeper into his experience and understand his experience a bit more and it's that that led him to understanding the nature of reality so within this um, so within the Buddha's experience of um, entering a meditative state. So the Buddha was in, uh, in this palace and he, discovered, he decided that he wanted to sort of uh, leave, go forth and discover the meaning of it all. And so he kind of, uh, he wanted answers. So he became a wanderer and along the way he tried all different spiritual practices and some were quite extreme. Uh, different practices at the time in India um, where you'd kind of starve yourself to try and uh, find freedom and liberation. And he discovered that this nearly led to death, so that wasn't the way. That wasn't the way. And then he remembered this uh, meditative state uh, as a child under the rose apple tree. So he realised that that could be a way, if he worked directly on his mind, that that could be a way forward for him. So eventually he found a tree... So another tree in the story of the Buddha. He found a tree, which was known as the Bodhi tree that Amrita mentioned yesterday. And he decided to sit down and, uh, and meditate until he uh, became free. And there's a lovely quote. I can't really remember it, but he kind of, it's like this commitment that happened at that point. That he, was, he was determined and committed that that's what he was going to do. And he wasn't going to leave that spot until he'd done that until he'd reached uh, his goal. Yeah. So he passed through different levels of absorption, plunging deeper and deeper into his mind until eventually he gained insight into the nature of reality. But during this journey, when his resolve was almost uh, complete um, and things were going really well, he met Mara and Amrita uh, mentioned Mara yesterday. So he was on the brink of enlightenment 
and then Mara came. Yeah. So I find um, I find some people don't necessarily relate to Mara quite easily, but I find uh, I find it quite helpful to sort of personify that sort of energy. And um, I really like Padma Vajra says uh, calls Mara. He's like the um, the fascist regi- regime within. He's whatever gets in your way of uh, spiritual growth and obstacles that stop you from transforming. That's Mara. So whether it's the stories you tell yourself, your doubts, um, your perception of things, um, whatever gets in your way is Mara. So on the moment of enlightenment, there was Mara saying to him, what are you doing? You can't do this. Who do you think you are? I don't know if anyone else is familiar with that, but I can, uh, <laughs> I can often have that experience. Mara's often around. And, um, and so the Buddha called the Earth Goddess to witness his efforts. And I really love that story. Um, so it's kind of like just getting back in touch with his own, own experience, his own practice of ethics, his own practice of meditation, his own confidence, his own intentions... And just uh, relying on that rather on Mara and the stories that he may tell you or we may tell ourselves. So at that point, also I I like the idea of um, there's an image in Lord of the Rings that I thought is a bit like that sometimes when things are going really, really well. It's a bit like that image when he's at the top of the mountain and the orcs are coming and those armies, it's like Mara's assault. When I think of the story of the Buddha's enlightenment and that moment where, you know, he'd nearly broken free and then Mara came with all his weapons and and all those forces to try and stop him and uh, I think it was a bit like that. I can imagine it being a bit like that. And then the Buddha, the Buddha turned... Uh, by touching the earth and getting back in touch with his own experiences, his own confidence, he turned all those weapons to flowers. And I think that's a really beautiful image. Yeah. Yeah, so meeting Mara with flowers. Mm. So we have um, in our community two practices that I think are very helpful to sort of, I guess, to give us the tools to work with situations, experiences, difficulties. So two practices that we're all probably familiar with, mindfulness and, uh, and metta. I think, um, you know, the mindfulness practice gives you the opportunity to see the, uh, the workings of your mind, of Mara, and this space to try and... Uh, be creative with that um, and in within the stages of the Buddha's enlightenment you know he kind of discovered that whatever mental state appeared he could just be with that you don't have to get tied up in it you don't have to get caught up in it and that's mindfulness really um, and then he also discovered that he could create other positive mental states and experiences that led to more expansive states that led to better connection um, and I guess that's the, that, that's the metabhavna practice. Um, and I really like the idea, well, in a way, metta will help us to be in better connection with, with ourselves and with others and with nature. Um, 
Yeah, and I sometimes think of metta as uh, it's a bit like gardening for the heart. Um, so you're kind of you're doing your weeding or med- uh, meditation practice, Buddhist practice is a bit like gardening for the heart. You're kind of you know discovering the weeds that are getting in the way of the flowers growing, and uh, and by cultivating metta, um, you know you're planting new seeds of kindness, of love, of friendliness. And um, metta also will lead to empathy and uh, compassion, which is, I guess, so important to be in better connection with people. Yeah. So the title of this talk was uh, May All Your Weeds Be Wildflowers. And that came out of a conversation I had with Kashanti Vajra. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, personally, at the moment, I haven't been having an easy time. There's been difficult things happening. And, you know, it's just such a reminder of, um, well, how I choose to sort of uh, be with that is, is, you know, samsara or it's awakening, really. It's growing. Um, and uh, so Kashanti Vajra was talking about um, looking out at his garden and um, that he's so they're in the middle of selling their house as well <laughs> and so he was saying that his lawnmower is in for a service so they can't mow the lawn and all these flowers are coming out these daisies and you could look at that lawn and think oh my god the garden really needs cutting or you could look at it and see the wild flowers so that's where the um, yeah as a sort of metaphor for being creative with uh, our experience. So may all your weeds be wildflowers. <laughs> so it's choosing to see beauty as well. And I think that's what else meta, the meta practice can do. So it's not necessarily about liking everyone and being really good friends. It's There's something about just trying to remain open uh, to someone else's humanity and, um, yeah, and being concerned for their their welfare, I guess. Mm. And I guess there's also something about not relating to people on a utilitarian level and what you can get from them. And that's the same with nature. Um, And I think meta practice helps with that as well. I had a... When I first arrived, and I was involved with trying to get the shrine offerings for the ritual, I just went up to a tree and just snapped these two branches off of a tree, but Stuart was nearby, <laughs> and he just shouted out, Vandal! <laughs> and I was just like, oh! Oh! And I, you know, I was, I was a bit too caught up in the utilitarian needs of the retreat and the camp and task orientated to even stop and take into account that this tree was living you know which is bizarre um considering this is the theme of the tree so i then said thank you to the tree and uh, i've been really appreciating its gifts to us (laughs) yeah yeah so meta and mindfulness And just finally, just like to say a little bit about creating a Buddha field. 
So uh, a Buddha field is um, a Mahayana mythic, Mahayana mythic dimension. So it's uh, it's a realm that's created by the Buddha's uh, skillful action. Um, you could also look at it as uh, it's a place of where they're the perfect conditions for spiritual growth. In the in the sutras, it's you know they're really beautiful places. They're full of jeweled trees, and your every wish is granted. And um, you know the birds are constantly singing. It's just a very positive place to be. And um, yeah, it's a situation that that offers us the best context for practicing. So that would be practicing, you know, me- meditation ethics. Uh, yeah getting closer to how things are developing wisdom and I think that's what's always inspired me um, there's something about being outdoors for me that's inspired me to want to do this um, to do Buddhafield East and I don't know if it's something about that there, there isn't a ceiling or there is in here but I can still see the sky and I can still feel the air and there's no, there's no walls in a way so it, I feel when I'm out in these conditions I feel that I can that I'm more myself something just being in connection with nature brings out more of myself and um, I guess nature has its own effect like that it's part of the conditions that that are very positive to being Um, yeah less restricting but I also like to look at um, in a way, all of us here, we've got, we're creating our own little Buddha fields. I'm creating my own little Buddha field, dependent on uh, how I am in this retreat, how I am in my practice. Uh, it, crea- it has an effect. It's, um, I guess it links to my name as well, and that's my teachings, to remember if I'm, to practice as well as I can so that I can, you know, that I'm aware of the effects that I might have. And to be completely honest... I don't think I've ever found doing this easy. <laughs> uh, and it is so often a bit of a struggle. To These conditions are, are not the easy option. And, uh, but there's a part of me that really, really loves that as well. And um, part of me that ha- likes to have that sort of challenge and that edge. Um, there's this idea of... Um, a Buddha field is also like a Vajrasana. So the Vajrasana is the Buddha's diamond seat of enlightenment. So that's where he got enlightened. Under the Bodhi tree is the Vajrasana. It's actually where we keep this tent in Suffolk as well, Vajrasana. So that's a nice little link. But you could also look at the Vajrasana as being um, the conditions that um, are best for your own enlightenment. So I, I think for me, there's a really good uh, combination. So it's inspiring enough. It's beautiful enough. I feel uh, able to be myself enough in these conditions. But then I'm constantly met with um, dukkha as well. <laughs> so an example of that was putting up this rainbow tent for those that were here. <laughs> That's a perfect example of dukkha. I did hear one, someone, self saying, um, someone else saying... Um, They'd found a really flat space to put up their tent on. <laughs> and then they got in it and there was a molehill. <laughs> and I think when you're camping, it's a real opportunity to sort of meet Dukkha 
bit more fully. Not that you really need it in the world, because there's often enough of it anyway. But it's 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 so there. Um, yeah. Hmm. There's also something for me about um, being closer to the Buddha in these conditions. You know, I'm kind of aware that the Buddha lived his life out in nature. You know, he walked barefoot on the grass and he meditated under trees. He was in the elements. And uh, I really like that idea as well. So a Buddha field is a place where the conditions are supportive and perfect even for our own uh, spiritual growth. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the conditions are always comfortable. But then I guess if everything was always comfortable, would we really uh, make much effort to transform and grow? So if you find yourself on a Buddhafield East event and wonder why on earth you're here, <laughs> or yeah, at points that you wonder why you're here, rather than being warm and dry and tucked up in bed near a kettle. <laughs> and if you come up against something in yourself that isn't that comfortable, try and stay with it. So the mindfulness practice, try and stay with it. Know it, name it. And uh, try and meet it with metta. Try and meet it with metta and try and meet others with metta. And... Uh, I've been trying to imagine that I've got a handful of flowers uh, at times this week and just trying to um, imagine throwing that handful of flowers at Mara when he's there, uh, when I feel a bit um, up against it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and also it's an opportunity to see our experiences, wildflowers rather than weeds. <laughs> So I think that's probably it. There was just um, one practice I thought I'd like to leave uh, you with. So it's around the earth goddess uh, practice. I thought it would be really nice at some point to um, so just touching the earth. So imagine if we're in meditation, just touching the earth. And just trying to get into contact with our own efforts and valuing them and um, as much as we can, you know, um, it can be so easy to get caught up on, in what we don't do or, you know, the stories that Mara is uh, offering us. So just um, coming into contact, asking the earth goddess to witness our efforts and uh, our efforts towards enlightenment, you know, we're all kind of making them. So it's... There's a practice that we do that's called rejoicing in merits. So just taking ourselves into account a bit more and valuing what we do and our efforts with kindness. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please help us keep this free. Make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. And thank you 